0: Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello. Hello.
1: <clears throat> podcast Network Asia. Welcome to She Talks Peace, a podcast that highlights the role of women peace builders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to communities eavesdrop on their communities and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine, from Myanmar to the United States. Their dreams and hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy. This is She Talks Peace. Salam everyone! Welcome to episode 61 of She Talks Peace. I'm Amina Rasul of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, joining you from exotic Bangkok. I'm actually in Bangkok today, enjoying delicious tomyang soup, sticky rice with sweet mango, spicy masaman curry as I watch the river flow by. I'm working here with a conference, but many of my Thai friends are on a long holiday because the government is commemorating the sixth anniversary of His Majesty, King Bumibol's death. King Bumibol was known as King Rama the Ninth, and he's passing away on October 13, 2016, is now celebrated as a national holiday. The Thai people not only respected King Bumibon, but they really loved him. We're neighbors, so we can see how much they loved the king who reigned over Thailand for 70 years. So sadly, dear listeners, I have to eat my sticky rice with mango all by myself. As my Thai friends are with their families, taking this opportunity to have a much needed reunion. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the conference that I'm with. This was organized by the Gender Equality Network and supported by UN Women and the Asian Institute of Technology. My Thai colleague and friend, Dr. Amporn Martin, who was our guest on episode 14. She shared very encouraging news about how she and her colleagues have been able to reach out to the communities in the areas of conflict in the deep south of Thailand and work with the people who have been caught in the middle, particularly young people and women. The reality, though, is that suspicions and the threat of violence are still high. But at least civil society and peace builders like Amporn are able to connect and have real conversations with the communities in conflict. And you know what? Peace work like hers needs to be supported. Now, speaking about international support for peace, on October 7, the Nobel Peace Prize 2022 Winners were announced. This prestigious award is given to those who have done the most or the best work for fraternity between nations, for the abolition of reduction of standing armies, and for the holding and promotion of peace congresses. And this year's laureates include a Belarusian human rights promotion, uh, pro human rights activist. A Russian human rights organization and a Ukrainian human rights organization. According to the Nobel Committee, the awardees demonstrate the significance of civil society for peace and democracy. Speaking of awards, we are so lucky today to have a multi awarded peace builder in our midst, all the way from Cameroon. Our guest wears many hats. She is executive director of the non-profit organization Reach Out Cameroon and has been at the forefront of development and humanitarian response in the southwest region of Cameroon since the year 2000. She has pioneered the fight against HIV AIDS in the country She has advocated for the rights of minority groups and she has empowered over 2,000 women already and youth through capacity building. In 2018, she began providing humanitarian aid to internally displaced people in the wake of the so-called Anglophone crisis. We'll ask her later what Anglophone crisis is. And she's also my dear friend and sister. Esther Omam is a member of the Women's Alliance for Security Leadership. And in this episode, our guest will tell us about how things are in Cameroon five years into the Anglophone crisis how it started, how it's going, her personal experience, and how our organization has responded to the crisis. Welcome to She Talks Peace, Esther.
0: Thank you very much, uh, Amina. Uh, I feel privilege to be invited uh, in this uh, platform. Today is a beautiful day.
1: It's our privilege, Esther, especially since you recently had a meeting with your prime minister. That was the other day, right? Can you tell us about that? What happened at that meeting with your prime minister?
0: Uh, yes, that was uh, two days ago. I led a delegation of 12 to meet uh, with the office of the prime minister in our country. This in view of uh, advocating effective for the effective leadership and the representation of women in the implementation and monitoring of the mechanisms of our major national dialogue. And then the women, the women came from the two touristy regions of the Northwest and Southwest. We prepared an advocacy brief, which we tabled to the director of cabinet of the prime minister who received us. We had a lengthy discussion of what we thought should be with regards to women peace builders in our country and their representation in all peace processes. And why not the political uh, sphere? And uh, I think that it was very positive because the recommendations which we made went straight in line with their expectations, some of which they didn't even know how to go about. So what we have even given to them will uh, be solutions to some of the concerns they've been having from the feedback I got last night. This is wonderful and women are making it big. We will not let, relent, we will continue doing that, we've done that in the past, we'll continue doing it now. So now we just wait for them to start implementing what we suggested based on their recommendations. And again, we told them that we are deploying women in all the 13 divisions of the two touristy regions and to cause uh, an engagement At the level of the community, so that we get the perception of the women and key stakeholders on what they think about women peace builders and about their representation, their participation, their effective representation of participation. And so they were so, so excited to learn about this and told us that they are all ears. They will be expecting us back to come and give them the report so that they can exploit it for a better end.
1: But Esther, that sounds really, really wonderful and encouraging. But you and I we've worked with governments a long time. And we know that sometimes they speak very positively when we meet with them, but then it takes forever for any implementation. So Esther, how is your organization and the women who are with you, how are you going to make sure that the Prime Minister and his government will really implement what they committed.
0: Yes, we all know that the government usually will not want to give credit to others who bring in suggestions that can be concretized to make positive gains. But uh, we, the women, have our way of going about it. Of Of course we do. And and of course we are (laughs) going to ensure that we submitted a brief already. We've shared it with some diplomatic nations so that they, they bear us witness. And uh, for now, we've not given it to the media because we want to see what uh, the government will do. We are going to do community engagement. When we are coming with our report, and we present it to the government in two months to come, we then remind them of the brief we submitted and the report We are presenting with regards to what people think should be or should not be within the context of this crisis. And from there, the both parties, that is us, the women, and the government, are going to come up with a plan of action which will state when exactly each and every one of us will commit to do what. These are our intentions, but we won't tell them now. You know, we have our <laughs> way of uh, of going about it.
1: <laughs> I, I, I believe you. I believe you, Esther. I, I mean, you are you're, you're a, a, <laughs> a, a, a mediator, so I'm sure you can get your government to do what it's committed to do. But Esther, we're talking about the crisis, the anglophone crisis. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about it? What is the anglophone crisis, Esther?
0: If I should summarize today, before going to details, the Anglophone crisis to me is about the pains and sufferings, the devastations which we, the women and children and the other innocent civilians are going through. We have been living a very peaceful life before and uh, despite the fact that we had uh, a conflict in the Bakasit Peninsula, but that already Had been settled and then uh, we kept on carrying out our activities normally and then one good morning we saw people getting into the street. The lawyers and the teachers, why did they get into the street? It's because they believe, you know, that there were issues with regards to our education, given that, Mm -hmm. yes, given that it is Anglo-Saxon and uh, oh and yes and the lawyers also believed that there were issues because most of the people who were administering the courts were from the french-speaking side who could not administer the the common law you know, oh. and yes and then everything most of the things were done in french you know our children were already being alienated because they will speak a type of a mixture of what we call uh Creole, English mm-hmm. and French and not yes. the English which they expect, besides other issues of marginalization and discrimination. Now, when these people got to the street, you know, to have a peaceful protest, they met a stiff resistance and oppression from the government forces mm-hmm. who started brutalizing them. It would have ended there if these two parties talked to each other, if the government called these people for a peaceful conversation. But no, it continued. And so when the masses saw that, the youth went on the street causing uh, with peaceful plans. And while they were doing that, many of them lost their lives that they because um, the security forces, you know, were also on the street waiting for them, and they're trying to push them back and strangle many of those protesters with bullets. Mm-hmm. This is, and by the time this was done, it was not an armed conflict. It is only after this. Yeah. What I'm talking about is this is 2016. Yeah. In 2017, they also did the protest towards the end. That is when we started hearing about guns, guns which are tuning, which are firing. So it is about uh, a corporate claim by lawyers and teachers. This is how it's true. And then uh, later on, as a result of all the inequalities which the Anglophones were facing, the discriminations, the marginalizations, which they've been facing. And this now led to the um, the full-blown, Armed conflict. In 2017, late 2017, I remember very well, there were some kind of uh, talks between government and the protesters, the teachers and the lawyers, which did not need any positive fruit because government had its own narrative. Mm -hmm. And the lawyers and the teachers had their own narrative. and And there was no common ground. None of them. You know, could use common sense to identify common grounds so that they come out of It was all about ego. It was all about ego. Yeah. It was all about, yeah. was all about the, the, the men's positions. And nobody thought about asking, second opinion, consulting, even with women. Because if they had done that, we would have given them our own angle of yeah. perceiving the issues, given that we are pacifiers so this is what led to the food because there were people in the diaspora who were watching following and we are sure that they were following and who were also having their own agenda and as a result of that there was a big shift and they said it will no longer be the peaceful protest we will go to with, to armed confrontation and this is how it all began yeah. and we started facing huge displacements in 2018 yeah. And that's where Richard comes to play because we had been a development-oriented organization, and when they started the burning of villages, erasing villages completely, really burning, burning all women, this is what even angered the people, the population so much well right. because the government is the cause of burning and trying to push back the, the non-state armed groups who now who have been armed. Uh, so well, uh, they were they burned and I remember they burned a ninety year old woman. Ninety year old woman, they burned her. This caused, yeah, this caused two ashes. This caused an outrage. What did she do? What did she do that they had to burn her? She was in the house sleeping, and because oh my goodness, she, yes, innocently in her house sleeping, and then she didn't know what was happening, and they just started burning and. She was trapped in the fire yeah. while others were seeking refuge. Running. Yeah. These were the first instances of displacement. And this started in the southwest, not in yeah. the northwest. Yeah. This began in the southwest region yeah. in a village called Wapwap.
1: Yeah. So tell me, now it's full blown. There's conflict. And as you said, if only they had common sense earlier on. If only the men did not have such big egos, right? So now you not only are working on humanitarian assistance to the displaced communities, but you're actually mediating. And this is something that I think our listeners would really want to hear from you. I know I'm going to learn a lot from you. How did you do it, Esther? What was your strategy to... Start talking to these men with the big egos. <laughs> <laughs> and for some people who don't really have much common sense, what is the strategy that you took as a mediator,
0: Esther? Yes. So when I saw uh, the huge displacements, I went back to my organization and called everybody that let us analyze the situation. We could no longer find our beneficiaries in their respective communities. So there was a problem and we could no longer carry out. We could not effectively carry out uh, programs which we were carrying out with them. And there was a need to re-strategize. And so we said, let us look what's happening. And we discovered that there was a hub, a hub of internally displaced Uh persons in one of the towns called Puma. This was the-
1: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring.
0: And very few have started displacing to neighboring towns like uh, the economic capital, Mm -hmm. the capital itself, the political capital, and the other major cities. So we went there to see for ourselves, we identified, and we discovered that by then there were the very first, the early beginnings, there were 70,000 internally displaced. Others sought refuge in Nigeria. And so we said, let us start organizing. And helping these people with little means. And we started doing that immediately. Mm-hmm. But in the course of doing it, it dawned on us that we don't have the means. Right. We cannot keep giving food. Right. Right. We cannot keep buying medications and uh, non-food items and you know buy a sanitary pack every day to dignity kit to give to women. What do we have to do? We start again, I had a rethink, restrategized, and said this is not for reach out alone. Let us bring other people ah. on board. And that's how we brought other women on board. Okay. And disclose to them that uh, this is what is happening. And if we, the women, our men are dying, the children are dying, innocent civilians are dying, we, the women, are dying, and we have so many needs, displaced populations, and so on, if care is not taken, we are going to enter into doom. And uh, the, the effects will be devastating, both health wise economic, physical, and so on. And this is what we're facing today. But thank God that the women were the first civilian action, Mm -hmm. you know, which stepped forward in order to start mitigating some of these uh, effects. So the women gladly accepted. And that's how the first voice piece for women in this crisis was created. We started with five women, five of us in my office, where I presented a situation and then we came up with the, the goal, what we wanted to achieve, that we wanted to significantly contribute in ending the crisis. Uh-huh. You know, we wanted to play a role, to have a voice. We did that and we started as a WhatsApp group. What? It what? To You're kidding me. You started as a WhatsApp yeah. group. Wow. <laughs> After the physical meeting with the five women, we decided to recruit more women. Okay. And then I got to some, uh, some women I had met in the Northwest, in the course of conferences and so on. And I told them, this is what we're doing. Please, can you recruit more women? Because we need women to stand out, to come out and denounce what is happening. Mm -hmm. And that's how we started recruiting. We became a WhatsApp group. And then we started talking. Then none of the women have been doing humanitarian assistance. We were doing it. And we told them that with our own little experience, we are going to share. And so we carried the first humanitarian response as a collective voice and we did it in a town which was considered a red zone. Mm-hmm. That town is called Munya in the southwest region. And we had more than 50 women who went there. And but before going there, we did our homework so well uh-huh. that no woman will get in on harm's way. We had to negotiate government, negotiate from the non-state angles and that day the guns which usually were firing in that area stopped. Oh, wonderful. And we did our humanitarian assistance. And when we were coming out of it, we started getting threats and people started saying that we have poisoned food and whatever, but when they did not see anything happening, they sat quiet and started targeting the individuals. Now we had done that with our own maker resources. The women contributed. And then, so when we start again, to evaluate the action we talk to ourselves and then we say yes we have contributed food we have contributed money how long are we going to contribute exactly. now let us move from contributing money to for buying assistance tough to give to our people internally displaced persons to advocating yeah. for an end to the crisis and so this is the women step up the game yeah. left distribution while doing distribution in their individual organizations, because they have learned that they have the camp it can be done. While doing it in their individual organizations, as we agreed, we now came out to have the first lamentation campaign. What's the lamentation campaign? The lamentation campaign brought out women in one of our major squares in the southwest, and we did the same in the North. Mm-hmm. We started in the Southwest so that those who went to go to the Northwest we follow what was happening and do same that way. And so we came out, we spoke, we prayed, and the women started wailing with peaceful Wow! Plans. And all the authorities who were passing that day had to stop to see what was happening. Yeah. And that's how media, media learned, and all the media in our media houses in our region had to come and capture the story and started giving visibility to the action because this was the very first civilian action. Started giving visibility to this action. And in the, we were, we had placards where we wrote that we are tired of this. Mm-hmm. We want dialogue, let the two parties sit a dialogue. So we were even the first voice to call for dialogue. We were the first voice to call for dialogue. We started feeling that we want an inclusive dialogue. Let the two parties sit together and dialogue. Our children are dying. Our husbands are dying. And then they have refused access to education to our children. Let them allow our children go to school. And so we brought out so many advocacy messages targeting both parties so that we play our role of impartiality in a way that will make us not to go on harm's way. But this was not well perceived by the separatists whom we call the non-state groups. This was not well perceived. So, government was affected by your
1: lamentation campaign, but you had a problem with the separatist groups. So, how did you approach the separatist groups,
0: Esther? Yes, but because before doing any action, we sit down to analyze. And after analyzing, we try to analyze, trying to base our moves on the do-no harm Ah, okay. All right. And after analyzing, we analyze the environment, the actors, the time, the venue, and everything. Mm-hmm. After analyzing it, we carry out our action. So meaning that we had informed government, we had informed the non-state armed groups that this is what we are going to do. But immediately we started doing it, and then no woman was harmed. The non-state armed groups started accusing women that these are blacklegs. In quote, when they call you blackleg, it means that you are a traitor. That these are traitors. These are CPD and paid women, meaning that the political party, the lone political party in the country, unfortunately for them, I belong to no party because I'm 100% (laughs) civil society. So that's where they failed. So they were saying that these are paid CPD and women Uh that the government bought with money to do this. Look for them, wipe out their families. Wipe out their families. And who were they targeting? The leaders. And of course, I was one Mm -hmm. and other few women. And this for the Northwest, for the Southwest, and also for the Northwest. And after doing those two lamentation campaigns, for each action, we had to stop to evaluate think before doing Mm -hmm. so that nobody gets into unharmed right. right. This is what we were doing. So eager to carry out the actions. We were also conscious of the safety and security Uh of us, the women. And that's why up to date, Despite the many kidnappings that some of us suffered, our children and so on, Mm -hmm. nobody suffered any human casualty Mm -hmm. as I would put it. Why? Because women have that soft touch. Women know how to do their things. Women will not just go carelessly and be doing things without thinking. They sit, analyze, before taking action. So I call it action, reflection, action. Mm -hmm. We take action, we reflect, and then then we take another action. So that's what marveled the diplomatic missions in our country. And by then, Ocha had not come in the region. So when Ocha came to the region, the first spot, the first spot was reach out. They came and said, we have heard about the wonderful work. Please, can you invite civil society? So besides women, I had to invite an inclusive civil society, both men and women, to come. And then Ocha picked it from there. And today, we have a strong coordination body in our region. So, it is not only about humanitarian. How will you do humanitarian work? When I hear people saying that, where are you so much at the forefront open? Why are you making yourself visible? When I hear partners saying that, I want that because we are talking here about access. You cannot have access to carry out humanitarian response right. yeah. when you do not mediate, when you do not negotiate, and you cannot do those things. There is no kind of stability in the communities where you go, and so it brings in it brings in the strategy of peace building for you carrying out peace initiatives so as to stabilize the communities where you are going, ensure effective access before doing whatsoever you want to do. And this is what we did, this is what we are doing, and it is working. I'm in the cause of doing that.
1: That's good to know, Esther, that it's working. In fact, the fact that your prime minister invited you and your fellow women leaders to meet with him, that's so encouraging.
0: This is the second time. This is the second time. Second time, wow. Yeah, before the major national dialogue.
1: What's the next step for you, Esther? Just to make sure that you will have both sides staying in a peace type. What's the next step?
0: Before talking about the next step, I will say that we have spoken to government mm. a good number of times. We have spoken to the non-state groups on a good number of times. We have led delegations. I've led delegations in the United States to meet with the leaders of the non-state groups. I was in Toronto where they had their leadership retreat to discuss about issues. I was invited and facilitated a session where all those leaders of the non-state groups were there. And now, what we have to do. So while we are doing that with them, we are doing with government, we are trying to study in order to come up with key lessons learned from both sides and then come up with good points observed during the talks with these two, this is going to cause a kind of leverage for us so that we set up a common platform. We had done that in the past and we believe that we can still do it now. What we did in the past, we did consultations and we submitted our briefs. And most, many of the things which we suggested have been implemented today by government. The separatists also listen, especially when we're talking about the education. In 2019, education was at 15%. Today we are at 52%. It means that some major gains have been recorded, but a lot more still needs to be done. But how can the women do that? So the next step, The next step is to have the women speak in one voice. Why? Because we started as one voice. But in the course of allowing ourselves to be instrumentalized by other parties, we dislocated. We fell apart. And we had so many networks created as a result of that, which made us not to be speaking in a coherent manner, Mm. not having a common narrative, though the purpose remained the same. So we are trying to be one voice. Like what we did going to the prime minister, it was not Richard, it was not my yeah. It was all. eight networks of women. All speakers. women.
1: Yeah. As usual, we're running out of time. But the idea of getting all these strong women to speak with one voice, that is a remarkable achievement, Esther. Yes. Because the group, you know, where I come from, it's very difficult to get women to speak with one voice you know what i mean right so before we end esther i was just thinking that maybe you can uh, share and give a message to all of the young women out there well even the not so young women about how they can collectively come together and have one voice and then you talk about their Support their advocacies, whether it's uh, ending conflict or maybe better nutrition for their children. What would your message be, Esther Oman, principal negotiator
0: and mix? for <laughs> <what laughs> excellence, Amina? <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, that's funny. Okay, thank you very much, Amina. What message do I have for the women out there, the young girls, also equally? What I would say is that. Achieving peace is not a piece of cake. Achieving peace is not chocolate. Achieving peace is resilience, is commitment, is engagement. And all over the world, woman is peace. Woman is the symbol of peace because obstacles to peace, she tries to overcome. She tries to overcome them in a peaceful way. Because she is a pacifier. And because woman is a pacifier, she must make sure that her sister comes and joins her so that they have a common stand, a common voice for them to speak out in oneness of the spirit. The women who are out there learn this, we will never achieve peace in dirty competition. We will never achieve peace in gossiping and black We will achieve peace in unity, mutual understanding, and love. When we dialogue among ourselves, strategize among ourselves, and then go out there as one person. This is what we, the woman, should be. This is the face that we should give out there. And this is the voice that should be heard out there. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Esther. I wish I could clone you and bring you here to Southeast Asia.
0: I am available.
1: (laughs) Because we have got to get a voice like yours talking to our women in Myanmar, in Southern Thailand, and other areas where we still have all of these armed conflicts going on. So our dear listeners, we have been privileged to listen to the voice of wisdom of Esther Omam. And all I can say is, She's not just reaching out from Cameroon, but she should be reach out world. And (laughs) the message says, women speak with one voice, a message, and that message is peace. So thank you so much, Esther, for joining us on She Talks Peace. And I'm hoping to have you again sometime soon so you can tell us a little bit more about how to get women to speak
0: with one voice. Thank you, my sister Amina. Thank you so much for inviting me and giving me the opportunity to use your platform. Thank you so much. I am humbled. Thank you. So
1: dear listeners, if you have questions or comments or you want to share your thoughts with Miss Esther Omam of Reach Out Cameroon, do... Send us an email at she Talks Peace podcast at gmail.com. Let me repeat that, she Talks Peace podcast at gmail.com. We are now on social media. Give us a follow at SheTalksPeace on both Twitter and Instagram. This is Amina Rasul from the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, saying goodbye for now i'm going to think a lot about how to get women to speak with one voice after listening to my sister esther bye she talks peace is brought to you in partnership with podcast network asia and podmetrics the easiest way to monetize your podcast for more information check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and
0: podmetrics.co